0: Fourteen, Matthew chapter 14. We've been working our way through the miracles in the gospel of John, and then the same story in John chapter 6 shows up in Matthew 14. I decided to cover it from Matthew because it gives a little bit more detail um, in Matthew than it does in John. You know, sometimes you turn on the news, like uh, as a preacher, you prepare a sermon, then you turn on the news, and, and uh, something happens on the news that just seems eerily similar uh, to what you're dealing with in a sermon. Most of you probably have heard this story of this duck boat accident up in Branson. And just what a tragedy, you know, to think about being out there on that lake in the middle of that storm and uh, in those boats. Kim and I have, have ridden on one of them duck boats, and I don't think I'm going to do that again. Um, after seeing that, it just, no way, I don't, I don't think so. Um, but we come to Matthew chapter 14, um, which is the story of Jesus um, and the disciples, it's really first the story of the disciples going through this one particular storm. And so let's pick it up in verse 22, Matthew 14, verse 22. It says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And that's the other side of the Sea of Galilee. While he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. first lesson I want us to see this morning is that following Jesus will bring storms. It will bring storms in our lives. You know, if you think about what's going on in the life of the disciples at this point, you know, they just had been on the mountaintop experience. Jesus had just fed 5,000 plus people, 5,000 men plus the women and children um, on that very bank of that very Sea of Galilee, and was probably the the high point, the, the big moment for them. His disciples. I mean, Jesus was beginning to gain popularity. John chapter 6, verse 15 said the crowd wanted to make Jesus the king right in that moment. And so the disciples could have easily gotten caught up in that moment, you know? I mean, they love their, their, their teacher, their rabbi. They want to see him become this, this big figure you can imagine that they probably could get caught up in all that excitement, all that energy, and say, yes, let's make Jesus king. But Jesus instead the Bible tells us here, puts him in a boat and sends him across the the sea. And you really can kind of imagine this picture of Jesus hurrying them into this boat and literally pushing that boat off, shoving that boat off the shore and saying, guys, head that way. Go that way. And, And so the disciples begin to head across this sea. And I can imagine that Peter was probably at the helm shouting instructions to the other guys. In less than 24 hours after what might have been the biggest moment of their ministry so far, they suddenly find themselves in the middle of a life-threatening storm. Now, the Sea of Galilee is kind of an interesting body of water. Um, It's about eight miles wide in its widest point from east to west, and it's about 12 miles long from north to south in its longest point. And it sits about 700 feet below sea level, and then there are these mountains on the side that reach about two to 3,000 feet above the surface of the water. And so these storms, it, the, that sea is known for these storms that would roll over these mountains and suddenly just drop on the, on the lake. And it can go from being this peaceful body of water to suddenly being this just torrent of waves and of wind and of rain. And that's exactly what happened here. The disciples found themselves in one of these storms. They were engulfed in the storms. And John chapter 6, verse 19 tells us that they were about three to four miles offshore at this point. And all night, literally, they had been fighting at the oars, trying to get their boat to go the direction they wanted to go, but they had no success whatsoever. But here's something to think about. The disciples were in this storm because Jesus sent them that way. He was the one that put them in the boat. He was the one that pushed them in that direction. Now, that's not to say that he was punishing them. It's not to say that they were there because of their own sinfulness or there because of some captain's error, took the wrong path. But Jesus put them in that boat, and he sent them out on the sea in that direction. And Jesus, being the one who knows all, knew exactly what they were headed into. Verse 24, let's, let's read that again. It says, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And so as they paddled in the direction that Jesus warned them to head, as they were sitting there rowing, looking at that point where Jesus said, go there, suddenly that wind and those waves were doing all that they could do to drive them in the other direction. And I think that's a picture of something that we deal with on a regular basis. If we are faithfully following Christ, we're going to end up fighting against this world. The wind and the waves of this world are going to end up trying to push us away from the path in which Jesus wants us to follow. If If you set out to live your life according to the Jesus way, you are no doubt going to find yourself fighting against the world's ways at some point if not at many points. As you seek to live your life according to Scripture, you're not only going to find that the world doesn't understand it, that that the world does things differently, but that the world fights against us along the way. You know, we live in a day and age when so many... Live based on a different understanding of right and wrong, based on a different understanding of purpose and why we are here, based on a different understanding of our different guiding principles. And as a result, we as Christians can sometimes feel like that we're going the opposite way on a one way street like we're trying to, like we're a fish trying to swim against the current, like we're a, a kid trying to run up the down escalator. But the truth is is that we don't just walk uphill. We actually live in a world that fights against us as we do, just like this wind was driving these disciples in the opposite direction of where they needed to go. And we see it as parents, as you try to raise your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but the world not only disagrees with you, but fights against you in doing so, and the world tries to separate you from your kids. We see it as as believers fight against abortion and try to protect the unborn and the culture of death not only condones the killings of those babies, but calls us inhumane and calls us inconsiderate and calls us uncaring. We see it as we stand for biblical views on manhood and on womanhood and on marriage, but the culture just tells us that we're outdated and that we're bigoted and that we're full of hate. We see it when you try to live at peace with, with, your, un, with your unbelieving neighbor and, and you try to display Christ's love and share the gospel. And the moment that you tell them that Jesus is the only way, the world labels you as intolerant. The world fights against us. And in that fight, we might be tempted just to give up, turn loose of the oars and just go with the wind. We might be tempted to try to bypass the storm. But you know, I got to thinking about this, dead fish float downstream, but live fish can swim upstream. Ain't that right? You know, sometimes uh, in my house, I happen to get a hold of the remote control. Doesn't happen very often. (laughs) Usually, we spend a lot of time watching cartoons, and fortunately, my boys have gotten into some different shows. Um, other than cartoons, but every now and then, I'll get a hold of the remote, and, and, and it never seems to fail. I'll be flipping through the channels, and, and I'll wind up on some documentary. Anybody in here like watching documentaries? few of us, okay, us weirdos, yeah. And, and, and I like to fish, and so a lot of times, I'll end up on these documentaries about fish. And one time, I spent like two hours watching about the, the invasion of the Asian carp <laughs> and these, these jumping carp, you know, Um, Well, then one time I ended up on this documentary on salmon. Now, I can't see in the taste of salmon, but it was really interesting watching this show about how these salmon would do everything that they could to swim upstream to get back to the water in which they hatched so that they could lay their eggs, right? And they will do everything they can. They They will jump up waterfalls, all this kind of stuff. Now, the dead ones don't do that, do they? No. The sick ones can't either. They just float downstream because they're not strong enough. But the ones that are thriving fight against the current and will make their way to their destination. And they won't give up till they do. If we look in Scripture, we see this same thing of those who are following after Jesus fighting against the current. You see it in the life of Moses as he fought against Pharaoh to bring the the Israelites out of Egypt, Right? When he could have just given in and saying, these people are hard-headed, I don't want to deal with this. I can live in splendor in Pharaoh's palace, I'm just going to do that. But no, instead he fought against it. We see it in Daniel when, when he was told to, to, uh, to pray, you know, to cease praying to God or else be thrown in the lion's den. But what did he do? Let's go to the lion's den. You see it in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they refused to bow. And they could have done so easily and avoided the fiery furnace, but they didn't. Instead, trusting their God more than they trust men. You know, when we find ourselves in the storms of this life, fighting for what is taught in Scripture, fighting for the truth of God's Word, remember that Christ has pointed us in that direction. And we need to keep walking that way, keep fighting that way. But we don't go it alone. We need to also remember that Christ is with us in the storm. Christ is there with us as we're in that storm. Now, I think I got a picture I want to show you. Is there a picture next? Uh, throw that up there. Anybody know who that is? I spent a lot of time as a kid watching that show. Lassie, here boy. I forget what it all was, you know, and the theme song would start, you know, and if y'all, if y'all don't know, if you're too young, To know who that is, Um, that dog is named Lassie. That little boy's named Timmy. Timmy always got himself into trouble. Pretty much every single episode, Timmy fell in a well or he wound up in a mine full of dynamite. Something like that always seemed to happen. He would call for Lassie, Lassie would run and find Timmy's dad or somebody. And they would automatically know, oh, Timmy's in a mine. Let's go. (laughs) You know, And they would know exactly where to go. And in 22 minutes, Timmy would be saved every single time. Isn't that true? That doll could solve all the world's problems just in time for the commercials every time. It was amazing. You know? The disciples had someone even better than Lassie. Let's look at verse 25. It says, And in the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 to 6 a.m., he came to them. Walking on the sea. And in fact, before he came to them, in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, this is what it said. It said, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. The wind was against them. He saw them. Jesus is up on the mountain praying. Remember that. And he looks down, and he sees that little boat fighting against the wind, fighting against the waves, fighting against the storm. And he didn't stop. He didn't just watch. He did something. You know, in our struggles against this world, as we try to live our life against the current of our culture, we might think that God has abandoned us. We might think that God doesn't care. I, I, I wonder if the disciples in that boat were thinking, why in the world did Jesus put us in this boat? Why did he do this to us? But the Bible makes it clear that in our darkest hours, God sees. Psalm chapter 139, verse 7, puts it like this. I think it's going to be on the screen. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light above me is night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. I can imagine, Maybe who knows, maybe the disciples thought of that verse right there. You know, I'm in the middle of that boat, and it talks about being there in the uttermost parts of the sea. God is there. He not only knows us, He not only sees us, but He's there with us. We see that Jesus came to them. Verse 25, Matthew 14, 25 says that Jesus came to them, walking on the sea. And this was not a fighting walk. It wasn't like He was swimming. It wasn't like He was fighting the waves. He was literally gliding across the water as if it was nothing. Reminds me of Job chapter 9, verse 8, where God is described as being the one who alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. And so the one who comes to us, the one who fights with us, is God himself. Is our creator, our savior, the same God who can calm the storms with the sound of his voice. And so Jesus walked those very waves and took that same path that the disciples had been fighting all night, and he came to them, and those waves were no match for him. Look at verse 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. You know, it's really no wonder that the disciples responded the way that they did. I think if I had been on a boat in the night in a storm and I saw somebody walking toward me, I would have said the same thing. (laughs) I would have been terrified, you know, because they, they had never seen Jesus walk on water before. They had no clue what was going on. But Jesus not only came to them, but he spoke. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus spoke words of peace, words of comfort, words of encouragement. He's telling them, be confident, be courageous, because I am here and I'm coming to you. And so even fear had nothing against Jesus. And his mere voice had the power to wash away fear. And the same is true for us. We have no reason to fear this world and to fear what the world throws at us. Why? Because Christ is with us. He is walking with us. Can you imagine their reaction when they heard that voice? They are fighting against those waves. That The boat is probably taking on water. They think that they're seeing something coming through the, the, the storm there, and they're probably terrified, thinking they're hallucinating. And all of a sudden, they hear that voice. They know that voice. It is I. I can imagine at that moment, all the fear disappeared. And suddenly they went from cowering over to to like thinking, this is it. We're going to make it. We're going to survive. Because his presence has the power to remove our fears. Now, verse 28, we come to next. The story takes another turn, and I want us to see one final lesson here. And that's that in the storm, step out in faith. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You know, I think Jesus meant this whole storm ordeal, ordeal to be a test for his disciples. This is kind of like the second round of this actual test. Um, You know, we see this a lot. Jesus would do things. There's a couple times Jesus did things two times. When he fed the 5,000, that was like test number one. Well, then later he feeds 4,000, and the disciples do the exact same thing. They wonder, where in the world is he going to get all this food? Well, he does the same thing here. This isn't the first time that Jesus has been in the middle of a storm with the disciples. Over in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 um, Jesus is in the boat that time, and a storm comes up. You might remember that story. Jesus is asleep in the boat, right? And they rush to him, and they wake him up because they're scared to death. What you, they're like, what are you doing, man? You're sleeping, and we're about to die here. And in verse 26, Matthew 8, 26, Jesus, it says, And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the wind and seas obey him? Now, some might knock Peter for trying to walk on the water and failing here. They might think, Oh, Peter, just this guy has no faith. But I wonder if he's the only one that got the test. I wonder if he's the only one that saw the similarity here. Here the disciples are in the middle of a storm, wondering what's going to happen next. You know, I think Peter realized... You know, the last time this had happened, Jesus had been in the boat, and Jesus calmed the storm from within the boat. And I think Peter realized that the safest place for him to be was not in that boat. The safest place for him to be was next to his Savior. In the middle of the waves, next to his Savior. And so so Peter left behind his comfort zone and went straight for Jesus. Christ has called us to leave our comfort zone. Remember last week, I mentioned that Jesus didn't call us to self preservation. He didn't call us to the safe way. He called us to risk it all. It was William Carey, a missionary, who said, Expect great things of God and attempt great things for God. Those are powerful words. Now, why did Peter fail? Well, he did sink. We know that much. Verse 30. Tells us why he failed. It said, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And so, what was it that made Peter sink? He took his eyes off Jesus and put it on the waves. He allowed those waves to block his view of his Savior, and he got scared again. He began to sink. Kind of like last week. Feeding the 5,000, why did Philip not know what to do? He allowed his circumstances to outweigh his faith, right? But you know what I think is interesting? What did Peter do when he did sink? He looked straight back to Jesus. Now, my natural instinct would have been in that moment probably to start swimming back to the boat, right? Right? Uh, You know, you start to sink, you start, I would want to go straight back to that boat, but not Peter. Peter didn't look back to the boat. He didn't realize the boat was what was going to get him out of this predicament. He knew it was his Savior, and so he called out to Jesus. And all these sort of things that Peter was going to just seeming in his mind exactly who Jesus was, the fact that he is God, and he is the only one who could save him. You know, a little later in John chapter 6, after this story takes place in John 6, um, Jesus begins to teach to the crowds, and it says that there were many that walked away because they could not grasp what Jesus said. They said, this stuff's too difficult. We can't handle this. And I want you to hear what happens. In John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, after this, after Jesus is talking about um, some, you know, teaching them, he says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And listen to what Simon Peter says. Just hear these words. John chapter 6, verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter knew there was nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to turn that there was only one who was deserving of his faith, and that was Jesus. And he said, even if you wanted me to leave, Jesus, I can't, because there's nowhere else for me to go. There's no point in going anywhere else, because you are the answer. And so Peter calls out to his Savior, and in verse 31 it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, "Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did he doubt? I got to thinking about this last night as I was finishing up uh, kind of studying. Why did Peter doubt? Or a better question, what did he doubt? You know, um, he steps out. Of, he asked Jesus, Jesus, can I walk on water? Can I come to you? Jesus said, come. He begins to walk. He begins to sink. Not because he doesn't have the ability to walk on water in that moment, but because he took his eyes off Jesus, right? When he begins to sink, he calls out to Jesus because he knows Jesus is the one to save him. So he's not doubting Jesus. He knows that Jesus is the one that's going to pull him out of the water. Instead, this is what I think is happening. And don't misunderstand me when I say this. Peter doubted himself. He doubted his ability to do what God had called him to do. Jesus told him to come. Jesus said, come. In in essence, Jesus is saying, you can do this, Peter. You can walk to me on water. I'm going to give you the ability to do so. Peter sank because his fear overcame what God had called him to do. You know what I think this teaches us? When we're in the middle of a storm, God has called us to step out in faith. And by faith, he's given us the ability to do it. And that when we sink, it's not because God failed us. It's because we took our eyes off our Savior. And we began to doubt our ability through the power of Jesus. I'm not saying we're the answer. But I'm saying that when that happens, we stop trusting God in our lives. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If God has called us to do it, He has given us the Spirit to be able to do it. He has given us the power through the Holy Spirit to actually obey what He commands us to do, no matter how great, no matter how small. But you know the awesome thing is this, is that Christ has called us to imitate His life, and even when we are imperfect, even when we fail at it, He still reaches out and grabs us. And pulls us up. He doesn't let us sink. He doesn't let us drown. But he pulls us up. Because scripture says he will never leave us nor forsake us. Right? That we are in his righteous hand. And he will never let anyone snatch us from it. So we can trust. And we can believe in faith that when he calls us to do something, we can do it. The story closes in verse 32. It says, And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know, there's going to come a day when the storm's going to end in our life. But you know when that day is going to be? The moment we step into heaven. You know what we're going to spend the rest of our eternity doing? Praising the one who is the Son of God. Standing there in heaven or more kneeling in heaven and saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Just pray with me. Father God, what a powerful story you've given us here. It's amazing to think about what Jesus did in his time on earth. God, as we look at these miracles, as we continue to study these, I'm just blown away by the power of our Savior. But God, you've called us to walk in faith, to step out of the boat, to live a life that fights against the current of this world. And so, Father, I'm praying today for us as believers, as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, those who have been saved, our souls have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, I'm praying that we would be people who would walk in faith and not doubt. You have indwelt us with your Holy Spirit and you've empowered us with the ability to do everything that you've called us to do, everything you've commanded us to do, we can do because of your Spirit within us. So Father, I'm praying for every person in this room. I don't know the storms that they might be facing right now, but I'm praying that you would help them to see that through you they have the strength to endure to not cave in to the pressure to not compromise but to have the strength to live by faith so father I pray that these words from this passage today would give encouragement God I pray that even as we see the fact that Peter sank that it would give us encouragement to know that even when we sink, even when we do turn our eyes off of you, that you reach out to us and pull us up. Father, I'm praying for those in this room today who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'm praying that today they would call out to you for salvation. Jesus, you are the only way. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that if there be some today who realize that they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that they've never prayed to him asking for the forgiveness of his sins, of their sins, they've never received that forgiveness and made him the Lord and Savior of their life, I pray that today would be that day that they would walk this aisle and want to know how they can become a Christian and how they can have the promise of eternal life and have the promise of a relationship with you here and now. Father, as we come to this time of invitation, I just do pray that you would do a work in our hearts and we would have the confidence to respond in however way, whatever way that you burden us to respond. it's in Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Just stand as we sing.